The advice in this podcast is general in nature and does not constitute medical advice. Always consult your doctor if you are concerned about your child's health. We recommend always following the safe sleep guidelines. In the spirit of reconciliation, Dr. Fallon and Dr. Law acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and the continuation of cultural, spiritual and educational practices of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. They pay respects to their elders past and present and recognise that sovereignty was never ceded. Hi, and welcome back to another episode of Brand New Little People, the podcast where we talk about all things early parenting with a particular focus on sleep and settling and crying during the first few years. I'm your host, Dr. Fallon Cook, and I'm here with my friend, Dr. Laura Conway. How are you going, Laura? I'm good, thanks, Fallon. Um, I have been watching um, all of the taylor swift mania on social media and the news (laughs) over the weekend so i'm sure that there are a few listeners out there who are wondering whether you were successful in the end at getting yourself and your daughter a ticket fallon Mm, i wasn't and i tried and tried like we had computers going all through the house my husband was like trying to get tickets um we tried every possible avenue and we didn't but you know what i'm actually feeling okay about that because Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I ended up having this amazing weekend anyway. So I'd sort of Mm. gone into the weekend thinking, and I sort of explained to my kids, you know, who missed out, even though some of their friends are going, um, you know, and I said to them, look, it's going to feel like a bit of a tricky weekend because you're going to be seeing all these people having a great time at this concert that we all really wanted to go to. Um, And we, so I just kind of was going into the weekend thinking this is going to be a challenging one and, you know, maybe a bit of a sad, mopey weekend. Um, and then on Friday, I just thought, no, nah, absolutely not. <laughs> I, I don't want to have a miserable weekend. We don't need to have a miserable weekend. So we planned out and we had this amazing Taylor Swift Errors Tour themed party on Saturday night. And it, we didn't invite anyone to it. It was really just me and the kids yeah. and my husband. And it was the best thing <laughs> ever. Like we awesome. had so much fun because I just yeah. thought like... You know, there's going to be times in life when it's really disappointing and you miss out on something. But sometimes you've got to make your own fun. And that's the yeah. lesson I wanted to kind of instill in the kids as well. Like, we could lie around moping and being sad. But, like, why? It's a weekend. We may as well have some fun. So yeah, so what did you do? And I, yeah, we, we went to – well, my daughter started out by making invitations to her dad and her brothers. <laughs> so they had these gorgeous invitations with a seat number and everything. She even put the seat numbers on the couch. So everyone had their allocated <laughs> seat. Um, but on Saturday, my daughter and I went to the shops and we got, like, all these decorations. We So, like, we decorated the house. We had, like, this, um, like, glittery curtain hanging from the lounge room door and that was where you had to give your ticket over. Um, we had, like, posters. Up. We had all these like little um, table decorations and um, oh, oh my God, it just it looks so, so, so cool. We um, hired the Errors Tour movie, of course, because how could you yeah. have a party without watching that? So we cranked <laughs> that up. And the awesome thing about the, the film of the, the Errors Tour concert is that you can put the subtitles on so everyone can sing along. You've got the words right there in front of you. Oh, brilliant. Um, so we just had the best time. It was so much fun. We made up like, these party bags. So everyone had their favorite lollies and favorite chocolates. Yeah. Um, it was just so exciting. And so we yeah had food in the lounge room. 
um, tally cranked up. We sang along. It goes for like three and a half hours. Um, and we just had the absolute best time. And the kids were just going, this is the best thing ever. This is like my favourite thing we've ever done. They oh, absolutely fantastic. loved it. Yeah, we just had the best time. And the next day they were like, thank you so much. It was it was really awesome. And we were talking about just how much fun we had. Because we, like, we made the friendship bracelets and everything as well. Oh, yes. Um, yeah. Which is a big feature of Taylor Swift concerts. So we spent like a good hour or two making friendship bracelets before the, the Saturday night party. Yeah. Um, it was it was just so much fun. And I was saying to the kids on Sunday, I was kind of reflecting on it. And I just thought there's such a good lesson in that. There are going to be times in life where you just don't get what you want. You can try as hard as you want. You're not going to have mm-hmm. things the way you would like them to go. Um, and I thought, I'm, I hope what it instilled in them was that understanding that you have a choice, you know, you have a choice Mm -hmm. about like, if you're going to feel disappointed about something, you can choose to do something different and Mm -hmm. something that might be maybe not equally fun, but still really bloody fun. (laughs) Yeah. I hope that they'll take that with them when they're older, when, you know, knowing that when things are, you know, times aren't great, you can just go and yeah, go and make your own fun and you can still have a great time. And yeah, so I think that was probably a really good lesson for them. And we ended up actually not feeling sad at all on the weekend. And we oh. ended up watching a whole lot of TikToks together, like watching live feeds from the actual concerts. Oh, and yeah. instead of feeling sad that we missed out, it was actually incredible watching all this joy, you know, and seeing people yes. just so overcome with emotion, having the time of their lives. Um, and so many women, you know, my age going with their children, were saying how the MCG, you know, it's packed with like 96,000 people, but Gosh. how incredibly safe those women and girls felt in that environment, mm. that it was such an inclusive, welcoming, beautiful crowd to be part of and that that was really um, a real feature for them. How brilliant is that, you know? Yes. Because oh, yeah, it can feel a bit frightening funny. going to a really big event with... Um, with your children, just as a, a mum, if you're yeah. going without your, um, if you have a male partner, um, yeah, it can feel quite um, intimidating. So that's wonderful yeah. um, that they yeah. were saying that that was the experience. And what a sense of community. And you and your Absolutely. kids were able to be part of that community through TikTok. Yeah, we somehow <laughs> tapped into it, you know, from afar, even though we couldn't be there. Um, and I just think that's great because Taylor Swift is such an incredible role model for children. Um, Mm. And I think it's so good that our children see, I think they need to see parents just really experiencing joy as well. So often we're stuck in the trenches of parenting. My kids were bloody thrilled when I was dancing with them, (laughs) singing, we're like screaming the bridge at the top of our lungs from home, a couple of hours from the city. But we didn't miss out. We were totally on it. Um, That sounds awesome. Yeah. Oh, I'm mm. delighted you were able to create such a wonderful, fun time. Uh, even though you yeah. missed out on the tickets, it sounds like you and your kids had a wonderful time. So your children are a little bit older than the um, toddlers and preschoolers and, of course, the babies that we work with, um, Fallon. But your daughter is um, 
not that much older than our kind of cutoff, which is um, six. Mm. So she's seven years old. Um, but a lot of what you're talking about is just making me think, um, Fallon, about um, how um, when our children move beyond the baby years into the toddler years and then the preschooler years, there is a real shift that um, happens where we're not um, needing to meet all of their wants um, mm. and they start to develop lots of lots more wants um, versus needs um, and it is part of the parenting journey for us to start to think about how we want to support our, chi- our kids sorry to um, develop resilience and um, uh, how to cope in the face of disappointment Yes. Um, and so what you're describing is just lovely where you're showing your children that, yeah, we didn't get the tickets that we all wanted to get, but we can make a um, the best of the situation um, mm. and we can change the way we think about this and let's have a party at home instead. Uh, and that was yeah. equally wonderful. I think it is mm. a good parallel because, yeah, in toddlerhood, there are so many times, especially toddlerhood, where you know, they're going to be disappointed or you're going to need to change something and there's nothing you can do. Like if they've been, well, I mean, we can relate it to sleep. If you've got a toddler who's co-sleeping and you're not getting enough sleep and it's impacting family well-being, so you're left with no other option but to work on them sleeping in their own bed, they're going to feel disappointed. Mm. They're going to feel really cranky about it. But your job as a parent isn't to necessarily change that situation. I mean, I couldn't get concert tickets there was no option but you know your job is to support them through their big feelings so my kids were disappointed so it was like lots of talking about how it's disappointing to miss out we might get tickets next time hey let's go and have some fun anyway because we can still have a great weekend you know if you're supporting a toddler through big changes or through their big emotions it's so challenging as a parent because we just want them to be happy (laughs) we just want them to be happy we don't want them to have those big sad feelings that they can have Mm. Um, but it's a natural part of life and your role is not to change it but to actually just support them through it and give them the skills to cope with those changes Um, but I think Mm. that's one of the biggest trickiest um, hurdles in early parenting yeah Mm. definitely and when um, our little ones are just toddlers they don't yet have really good um, self-regulation skills and they when they Mm. feel these big emotions they can express them in those enormous tantrums um, Mm. which can be really triggering for parents as well (laughs) I mean they're awful (laughs) we've all experienced them Um, oh, that reminds me. I found, this, I found a photo oh. the other day, Laura, um, from one of the big overseas trips I did with my little and one of my kids is just like splat on the floor of like a shopping centre. <laughs> I think it was in the US somewhere. <laughs> They're just like this sad crying face and just they've just like they've just hit the ground, you know, <laughs> like just yes. splat on the ground. And I remember taking a photo, which I would never share on social media or anything. It was really just a photo for myself to remind me that, yeah, no matter what you try and do, you can you know, even take them on an amazing, exciting trip. They're still yeah. going to have their moments where it all just falls apart. And I remember just oh, waiting in that, that shopping mall beside them. Just We'd all just stopped and we just waited for it to pass. And then we carried on because yeah. <laughs> there wasn't much yes. else we could really do. Mm. No, and we, um, yeah, we know as parents that it will pass, 
um, and how we deal with it in the moment is um, really influenced by our own history, our own mm. experiences of how we were parented, how we watched our siblings get parented, um, whether we've experienced any trauma, um, whether our um, our toddlers had any medical conditions when they were younger that meant that you know when they're crying that might really trigger a really visceral response in us now. Um, so it's mm. not that every parent is at the same point when they've got a toddler who's losing their mind <laughs> out in the shopping centre. Um, there's yes. a really lovely analogy where it talks about how um, we all have a, uh, our plates with different, um, you know, we have different size plates um, to um, hold all of our um, food, I suppose, if we went with that analogy. But some people have metal plates and some people have soggy paper plates. Um, yes. And then you, you put a um, <laughs> you put a screaming toddler on that parent's plate, and um, really, what the the background for that parent has. I'm not saying this very well, but you know what the you, you every parent has a history and they bring that with mm. them, um, and that influences how they react to their. Um, toddlers big tantrums and mm. um, we can't it's just terrible to judge parents for how they're responding to their Absolutely. child's big emotions there's yeah. so much that's gone before that influences their reaction in that moment absolutely it's like sometimes you know you could have the same challenging toddler behavior and one parent will just be like oh, you're fine. Oh, it'll pass. You know, you'll be, oh, they'll get over it in a minute. They'll be fine. You know, and they just can just <laughs> sail on through very unaffected by that behavior. And often their toddlers realize, oh yeah, actually everything's okay. You know, <laughs> everything's fine. <laughs> um, but that same behavior in another parent could absolutely bring them undone. Um, yes. And be just far more than what they can cope with. Um, there's just such a range in in parenting styles but yeah like you say just what you bring to parenting and your own experiences mm. and, and whether you were taught constructive ways to cope with your big feelings when you were a toddler um they might mm. not be skills you have and i think for a lot of parents around our age um there's a lot of the a lot of breaking of intergenerational curses where we go okay i'm going to do mm. better than what was done for me <clears throat> um and that's some pretty heavy emotional work to do especially if you've got a very upset toddler um or you're yes. having sleep troubles <laughs> yeah, it's, a, yeah. it's a hefty combo of, of things to carry yeah. Mm. And of course, Fallon, you and I aren't counsellors or clinical psychologists. Um, so, um, you know, for those um, families who are listening that are finding things really tricky and are finding that their toddler's behaviour is bringing up reactions in them and memories in them that they um, have suppressed for all these years, then definitely seek out support through your um, GP first um, and then see if you can um, find referrals to somebody to um, talk to um, who might be able to help you um, with those feelings. In terms of the sleep, um, something that can be really, really useful to think um, whilst you are waiting to either get in to see somebody to talk through what you're bringing to your the parenting table um, or even whilst you're just in the midst of doing that work is that our role as parents is to provide a safe sleeping environment for our toddlers that is in line with their unique sleep needs and when we are teaching our toddlers 
to go to bed um, reasoning with reasonable behavior and mm. to go to sleep where we want them to go to sleep. What is super important is being consistent and calm. Mm. And when you understand your toddler's unique sleep needs and you assure of what your unique bound, what your boundary is going to be in terms of where you want them to sleep. And for some bell members, when you've read through the different approaches that you can use to address whatever sleep issue it is that you're facing with your toddler, if you then stick with your favoured approach and just stay calm and consistent, think about having some mantras going on in your head where you tell yourself that my child is safe, warm and loved, even in the midst of their big emotions. And think about taking steps such as wearing noise cancelling headphones or listening to music whilst ensuring that your toddler is safe and that you yourself are safe. Um, those um, tips are really going to help you ride this wave of challenging toddler sleep behaviour. And mm. it will come to an end. Um, yes. But it will take some time to get there. But look after yourself. Think about what support you need in terms of um, mental health support um, and what kind of physical, um, you know, actual practical support you need from your um, co-parent if you have a co-parent or your community around you. Um, and ensuring that whatever strategies you put into place with your toddler to improve their sleep are in line with your toddler's temperament, personality and their unique sleep needs. Mm, I think that is such lovely advice, Laura. I also think too, if you're a parent who has your own sensory difficulties, if you find really loud noises <clears throat> sort of set your hair on edge and you, um, you mm. know, are just really struggling with those big emotions from your toddler, noise cancelling headphones are an absolute game changer because you can still hear yeah. your child but it's taking off that harsh edge of their crying so that you're in a you're less triggered by it and you're mm. then in a bit of a clearer headspace to stay calm yourself and that can just completely change the dynamic um, it might mean mm. that you're getting less angry less flustered and you're better able to stay calm so i'm a big big um believer in the noise cancelling headphones it can and sometimes it's only a few times that you need to wear them and then your toddler it has mm. realized okay yeah i've still got lots of love and support while i fall asleep in my own bed or whatever it is you're working on um and then you don't mm. need them anymore but it helped you to get to that point and that's what's really important um laura we yeah. had some brilliant questions come through this week um that you know really tap into toddler sleep um, maybe I'll start by reading out Lisa's questions. Hmm. Um, yeah, let's go with that. Yeah, Lisa's toddler is on one day nap and he's been doing really well with self-settling. Um, but lately this has started to slip because he's waking very, very early, <clears throat> excuse me, at around 5 a.m. Um, he has been teething lately and he has some signs of separation anxiety. Lisa has been offering a feed at 5am and brings him into her bed to extend the sleep in because he's so hard to resettle. I completely understand. I hate early wake-ups, mm. Lisa. Um, Lisa wonders if the early wake-ups are due to his second wake window of the day, the one leading up to bedtime, being slightly shorter than his morning awake window. If it could be the teething pain or separation anxiety, or is it a drop in his total sleep requirements? So maybe he, does he just need sort of one hour of day sleep um, instead of the hour and a half that he's having? 
What do you think, Laura? Mm. What would you start with with a case like this where there's a few different factors that we want to think about? So I would be um, suggesting that Lisa logs her toddler's sleep again um, for a week just to see whether um, his total sleep requirements have changed um, since she originally started working on his sleep. Um, And then that will help you determine whether the bedtime, wake up and nap duration are um, still the correct ones for your um, toddler. Mm. Um, I wouldn't be worrying a huge amount about whether the um, afternoon wake window is a little bit shorter than the morning wake window. Um, If it's only a little bit, uh, which sounds like it is, um, that's probably not going to be the main cause for that um, very early wake up at 5 a.m. If you... you if you're really feeling that that could be it, it wouldn't hurt to see if you could move that nap slightly earlier um, in the day um, to ensure that the second wake window in the afternoon is the longer one. Um, often that is the way that the circadian rhythm develops is that um, generally babies and toddlers tend to have a slightly um, greater tolerance for being awake for longer in the afternoon than um, in the morning. Um mm. And if his sleep needs have dropped a little bit, it may be that you don't move the nap any earlier to try to extend that later wake window, but instead you do just shorten the duration of that nap, um, which you have also highlighted, Lisa, is one of the things that is on your mind that um, that you could be um, could be the cause of those early morning mm. wakes. I am really interested in Lisa raising the idea of separation anxiety, Fallon. Um, Because that is something that's very common in toddlers. Did you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, look, um, in Lisa's email, she describes some signs of separation anxiety. And I do think, you know, it's really common. They wake up early when sleep pressure is that bit low early in the morning. Um, And if they know that you can be there, then they want you there and they don't want you to go. Um, So given he's showing some signs of separation anxiety, um, I would say, yeah, you might do a bit of tweaking with the timing of things, Lisa. So maybe there's a slightly shorter day nap um, that you're going to try. Um, And then what I would be thinking is, you know, you, you ideally want to show him that even if he wakes early, we're not going to do the feed and the co-sleep because that could be sort of motivating him to wake up early. You know, he's thinking, well, this is great. Mm. I mean, I know it's not why you started, but often it happens a few times and then they think, awesome, I'm definitely going to keep waking up at 5am because <laughs> my favourite thing happens. Um, so if yeah. you want to stop that, once that sleep pressure is a little bit higher at night time, um, it might be that you set up a spare bed beside his cot in his nursery. So rather than him coming to you, you go to him. So he keeps sleeping in his own sleep environment um, with you nearby. And it might be at first that you need to pat him off to sleep in his cot or hold his hand or something like that um, just to help alleviate his anxiety. But after you do that for a couple of weeks, often then that anxiety is reduced. They understand that, you know, you're still there and everything's okay. Um, And then Mm. it's not too hard to gradually move yourself out of the room. So um, you could use something like the parental fading steps um, from the Sonbal program um, to help you gradually reduce your presence in the room. So definitely when there's separation anxiety, um, I would not recommend to any parent that you're trying to constantly leave their room if 
you're coming and going from the room, it's likely you're just triggering that separation anxiety over and over again. Yeah. Um, you always want to use an approach where you're either, you know, maybe you do just sleep there beside the cot all night just so you can get a bit more sleep yourself or mm. maybe it is just sitting in a chair near the cot. Um, you might sit there really quietly, eyes closed, you know, taking deep breaths um, to show your toddler mm. that everything's okay. Um, but you just want to give them you know, a couple of weeks to work through their anxiety and realise things are okay. And then often um, it's much easier to gradually work your way out of the room. Um, so, yeah, I think it's very important to think about separation anxiety. Um, and also when that anxiety is happening, if it's only at bedtime that you're seeing this, you know, lots of crying and upset when you're trying to leave them, it's less likely to be separation anxiety and more likely <clears throat> that they have a preference for you staying nearby and they're really cranky that you're trying to leave. <laughs> um, with separation anxiety, yeah. it's much more likely that you see the crying any time during the day that you try to step away from them. Um, yeah. So hopefully that gives you some strategies to think about, Lisa. The last one was just the teething pain. And I would say, I mean, absolutely try Panadol and Nurofen. <clears throat> but typically teething pain doesn't just happen at 5 a.m. in the morning. You know, so if it was teething mm. pain, we'd probably see wake-ups at other times um, and maybe some difficulties during the day and with the day nap as well um, if he was in pain. Um, maybe the only last thing I would add to this would just be to do a bit of a check of his bedroom at 5am is something changing that's making him think that it's mm. time to get up. You know, are there noisy birds, the rubbish truck, is light starting to creep in? Just make sure that sleep environment mm -hmm. is um, dark. Maybe use some white noise to mask any external sounds. Um, and mm. that's typically how, you know, you'll start to get that sleep in again. Yeah, so good luck, Lisa. It sounds like um, he was doing a really good job with self-settling. So um, once you've um, uh, listened to those tips um, and um, rechecked his um, bedroom environment, his unique sleep needs um, and addressed any separation anxiety, you should be um, back on track um, and send us an update um, so yeah. that we know how you're getting on. It's a really good example, isn't it, of how you know, like the, the problems Lisa's describing are really, really common that this happens in toddlerhood. I think it happens to most parents. There comes a, a point mm. where you get the early rising. Um, but, you know, you can always work to get things back on track. It doesn't mean that everything yeah. has fallen apart and it's going to stay falling apart. Really normal to have these little hurdles. And then you tweak a few things and things get back on track again. So, yeah, well done, Lisa. Yeah. You're doing a great job. And look, it's one of the reasons why when you buy Sombell, you have access for so long because yeah. <laughs> sleep isn't linear. I don't know how we have said that so many times, haven't we, Fallon? It's not linear. Yeah. It's not just um, one, you just do one fix and it's done. Sleep is constantly changing. And if we think of ourselves um, as adults and what our sleep is like from one night to the next um, across a week, it's not always the same. <laughs> no, I'm just being reminded of you telling me this morning that you're up to 2.30 in the morning working on some business stuff. So yeah, you're an example of that Laura <laughs> I know I'm feeling very tired and I didn't have a baby a keeping me up but no it was just zero it was keeping me awake until 2.30 this morning uh, good old accounting uh, software <laughs> yeah um, uh, alright shall I move on to the next question yeah Fallon? Okay, so we had an email from Sarah, and Sarah is a brand new Sombell member. So welcome, Sarah. Um, yeah. Sarah's just getting started with the program. 
So first of all, Sarah asks about how to keep an accurate sleep diary. She says that her 15-month-old wakes very often overnight, so it's hard to track his wake-ups. She's using our printable PDF sleep diary and finds it confusing knowing when to put an X in the diary for crying and an F in the diary for feeding. How can Sarah make tracking her toddler's sleep easier? Do you want to have uh, a go at answering yeah. that, Fallon, before we go on to her next question? Yeah, for sure. Look, Sarah, I would say don't worry about tracking the crying and the feeding if it's too much. So the most important thing in the sleep diary is the sleep. <laughs> so if, you know, tracking crying and feeding just feels too challenging, just simply don't do it. It won't matter so much. Um, in terms of tracking sleep, when there's really frequent night wakes, it, yeah, it's really hard to be tracking that in a diary. Um, what we often say is to, if you can manage it, take a screenshot of the time on your phone. And then the next morning, you can look back at all those photos in your um, camera roll and backfill your diary. And it just means that you're not in the middle of the night having to sit up, um, you get out your pen, <laughs> scribble in the diary. Um, it's just mm -hmm. too hard to do that. So definitely screenshot the time on your phone. I think that's such a parent told me that hack over a year ago, I think. And now I just tell it to everyone. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's just absolutely brilliant. Um, so that yeah, make it's it easier. gold, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. And the reason why it's so important that we, so some parents will come to a, an appointment with us and they haven't tracked any night waking and that can make it so hard to understand kind of how the circadian rhythm is functioning because what time your child wakes at night is really important for us to see. It tells us a lot about what's happening and where we might need to make changes. So when you track sleep in the diary, we always say track all the night wakes in case you do end up seeing us for an appointment um, because we'll really, you know, want to see that data. Um, so yeah, have a try at doing the mm -hmm. old um, screenshot of the phone um, and then backfilling it the next day, Sarah, it'll make it a whole lot easier. Yeah. And if your um, toddler is waking up um, and, you know, awake for 15 minutes and then you put them back down um, and then they're up again five minutes later, um, then, you know, be a bit pragmatic about it. Just think, well... <laughs> maybe it's been half an hour all up that they've been awake for, for example, because mm. they're probably not really going back to sleep um, just for a couple of minutes when you put them back down. Um, so taking a screenshot when they wake up and then taking a screenshot when you get back into bed. Yeah, um, if it's a long wake, it, definitely. Yeah. 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 Um, all right. So Sarah goes on to say, um, so her toddler has frequent night wakings. Um, he goes to sleep at 8.30 p.m. and he wakes up at around 11 p.m. So he's having a, um, a few hours um, in the first stretch of the night, which is good. Um, but after this, he's impossible to settle in his cot because he stands up and screams. Oh, Sarah, mm. that's terrible <laughs> from 11 p.m. I bet you dread bedtime. Yeah. Uh, he often goes back to sleep if he co-sleeps in Sarah's bed. However, despite co-sleeping, he still wakes, climbs all over poor Sarah, and he is crying and irritable throughout the night. Sarah is struggling to cope and would like advice on what to do. Oh, my goodness, Sarah. My heart goes mm. out to you. That sounds so yeah. hard. Mine yeah. too. I think the first thing I want to say is that there, this is such a common story to so many people who join Sunbell. So, Sarah, you're absolutely not alone. It's really normal to, um, you know, come into Sunbell feeling like things are dreadful and will never get better. I think there's a lot who mm. report that. 
um, it can feel really hard to know where to start and really overwhelming because from where you are right now, you're probably thinking, how on earth will any of these approaches work? My toddler's just going to stand up and scream. You know, it sounds like you're having some really difficult troubles in the night, um, but you mm. absolutely will get through this. So the first thing you really need to do, which you've already started, is keeping that sleep diary because 100%, I could guarantee it, your toddler has a sleep pressure problem at night time. And we know that because mm. even with all this support that you're so generously mm. giving him with, you know, holding him, co-sleeping, um, you know, you're probably trying to give him cuddles, you're trying to pat him. Even with all of that support, he's still crying and irritable and restless and not wanting to go to mm. sleep. So even mm -hmm. with all that support, he still can't do it, which really tells us that sleep pressure is too low. If he had a really mm -hmm. strong drive to sleep, that support would be more than enough to get him off to sleep. Mm -hmm. So there's definitely a timing issue there. So track his sleep, look at how much, um, you know, what his unique sleep needs appear to be. And then, you know, I'd really focus in on that unique sleep needs chapter, work through, you know, how you're going to build up a daily schedule that really fits his unique sleep needs. Because once you do that, and after about a week of working on that new schedule, that nighttime sleep pressure is going to be so much higher. And that means mm. you've then opened the door to actually making changes to how and where he settles. So just focus mm. on the timing for now and really building that nighttime sleep pressure. It can feel overwhelming thinking about what about when I've got to change where he's settling. Don't think about it right now. Because the thing is, once you've mm -hmm. done that work on the timing and sleep pressure's higher, he will be like a different child when you go to apply mm -hmm. one approach really consistently, whatever the approach is, doesn't matter which one you choose um, with higher sleep pressure. And with you being very, very consistent and just applying one steady approach, you'll absolutely have a few tricky settles, but then things will get massively better, <laughs> so much yeah. easier. Um, and it will all start to come together at that point. But there's work mm. to do before you get to that point. So, yeah, really focusing on the timing. Um, and then once that sleep pressure's higher at night time, dive into the settling side of things. Choose an approach that feels like the right fit for you and how you want to work. Could be doing something like... Um, potentially the co-sleeping fade out or maybe you're um you know if he's still settling in a cot um or you're still using a cot rather it might be that you do an approach where you stay right beside him with a spare bed right beside the cot all night it doesn't mm -hmm. matter how you want to do it um, it just matters that you're really consistent and that no matter what approach you'll eventually get there um, yeah. So I would say, Sarah, we're sending you a massive hug. You're going to be yeah. okay. It feels so overwhelming at this starting point, but I guarantee you there are yeah. listeners who are nodding along going, yeah, I remember. I felt so overwhelmed <laughs> when I started and it felt like nothing would ever get better. Um, but it absolutely yes. does. And I think we're all collectively sending you a big hug because you're going to get through this and it will be okay. Yeah, mm. and all I would add to um, that wonderful advice, Fallon, um, is for Sarah to make sure she reads through the chapter on um, how she can make adjustments um, to any of the approaches that she's choosing. Um, read through the case studies because that will also give her some ideas about how other parents have used the different approaches um, for their toddlers. And I think there's just really something about that community Community and knowing that you're not the first person who are not the first parent who has faced these kind of difficulties um, and you won't be the last um, but it's you're not going to be the first who is not able to make any changes because 
every parent can make changes and we can see improvements for every toddler so um yeah just hang in there sarah you're right at the start you're right in the you're just falling in the trench you've got to you've got to walk (laughs) through the trench (laughs) before you come over the top um uh, and you're going to get there. Please do send us an update. Um, and yeah. um, I'm sure that all our listeners will want to know how you get on as well. Absolutely. And look, sometimes with the really tricky cases, the best thing you can do is book a coaching call because it just having 25 minutes to chat through something complicated or if you're really not coping, just having a sounding board makes all the difference i think for some parents it's just one coaching call and that kind of just pulls their plan together and then they're off and away so do remember that that Mm. is an option not everyone needs a coaching call um but if you're really struggling and you just want that sounding board it you know it's there um and i think the wait time Mm -hmm. at the moment is pretty short it's only about a week or something like that so Mm. yeah if you're needing support um it's absolutely there um, now, moving on to babies, Laura, we've had an email from Monica who has a little five-month-old baby girl um, and she settles mm-hmm. herself to sleep in her cot. She self-settles really easily for her first and second nap, which is just wonderful at that age. Well done, Monica. Mm-hmm. Um, and she has a third nap in the pram on the go. So that's great that you're getting out the house. Um, and Monica says overnight sleep is actually really good. So she typically only wakes up one time to feed. I mean, that sounds wonderful, brilliant. doesn't it? Yeah. yeah really brilliant. Um, however, Monica says that the bedtimes are always a battle with up to an hour of crying. Um, her baby's really cranky, rubbing her eyes. And so Monica tries to put her to bed, but she fights it so hard. Um, Monica says she tries Mm. rocking and patting, but hardly anything works and her baby's absolutely hysterical. Um, She often starts to show tired signs only an hour after waking from that third nap. So Monica feels really confused, which is understandable. You know, you're thinking, Mm. gosh, she must need to go to bed. But then when you try, it doesn't work out. Mm. Um, She says she's um, if she keeps her awake, yeah, she's crying and upset. But if I try to put her in the cot, she's also crying and upset. (laughs) So what (laughs) should she do? I think this is, again, another battle that a lot of parents face with their babies at some Mm. point. What would you say, Laura? Yeah. Um, Monica, it's um, uh, it's so hard (laughs) that um, that early evening um, upset that your little baby um, is um, experiencing. Um, No parents sometimes call it the witching hour um, and it goes beyond an hour, can be two hours, two and a half hours sometimes. Very, very common for babies to be cranky and overwrought um, in the um, run up to bedtime. So, um, excuse me, know that you're not alone. You're not doing anything wrong. Um, At five months of age, she's a month or two off from the typical age, if we dare use the word typical, that babies drop their third nap. Um, So um, it's you haven't got long to go before she's just on the two naps a day. And that probably feels a little bit frightening for you at the moment because you're describing her as being quite tired after waking from her third nap. Um, I wouldn't be... um, Let me think about this. What I want... um, Monica, for you to stop feeling that you need to be doing is spending all of that time trying to calm and settle your baby to sleep. That is such a drain um, 
on your own mental and physical health um, and knowing that you're um, spending a whole hour each evening trying to get her to sleep um, is um, yeah that's hard to hear and what I want you to think about is she is not ready to go to sleep I can hear and what you're saying mm. that she's showing tired signs um, but I suspect it's just crank, it's cranky witching hour she's not actually ready to go to sleep because you've described that yeah. she settles herself to sleep beautifully in her cot um, for her naps and she's linking all those sleep cycles overnight independently um, mm. so we know she can do it um, she's not ready to go to sleep. Um, and so I want to take away from you that hour of trying to settle her at night. Yeah. Think about what time she's actually going to sleep and don't even attempt to put her down into her cot until really close to that time. Um, now, when I do say that to families in clinic, they I can all immediately see them starting to tear their hair out. Like, well, but what do I do with this crying, cranky, upset baby? Um, you're telling me not to put her down. So, yes, great. Thanks. That means I'm not going to spend an hour trying to get them to go to sleep. But what do I do instead? Yeah. And Fallon, I often think about how you have said in the um, podcast in the past that things um, that can help with a cranky baby and toddler are going into nature, going into company, going into water. Mm, and absolutely. when you do have a really cranky baby who um, is really in that witching hour, think about going out into the back garden if you can if that's an option or going out into the front garden and watching um, or onto the footpath and watching cars go by um, think about having a lovely long bath or shower they could have both <laughs> if they love yeah. the water yeah you um, might even get in the bath about, with them too that can often yeah, just yeah, be a really absolutely. good reset with some skin to skin Yes. Um, and company. If you have, if your mum is close by or you have a sister or a friend, um, uh, another sibling who can come over, um, then ask someone to come over and help as well. Mm. Um, and know that it's not always going to be like this. Once your baby um, sees that you're not going to be trying to get her to go to sleep before she can actually do it, the level of crankiness might also um lesson a little bit because at the moment she may yeah. just be getting really hysterical because you're she knows that she should be going to sleep but she can't and so yeah. she's really unhappy about it yeah it could be some frustration yeah. coming through I think that's such great advice Laura I'd be thinking about how wonderful that sleep is at the moment so that the actual sleep's not the problem it's the behavior before the sleep but when you describe mm. that sort of typical day and night it's brilliant and she absolutely knows how to settle herself off to sleep so if she's being put in a cot and not falling asleep she's just not ready because we know if she's ready mm. she can do it so that yes. should give you some confidence to just keep her up create some distractions um and yet yeah, definitely draw on some support from people around you it won't last forever um often by about six months of age this sort of evening crankiness starts to really settle down um and i agree just going back to what you were saying earlier laura tired signs are so unreliable and unpredictable mm -hmm. you know especially i think a lot of parents see that for day naps if you settle your baby as soon as you see the first tired sign there's a really good chance they're going to end up having too much day sleep very short naps sometimes their feeds then get thrown out as well and they're having lots of time 
tiny little snack feeds. And then because they're getting so many short naps during the day, their nights start to get really challenging as well because they're, mm. they're dialing down that sleep pressure so much by having all these tiny day naps all across the day um, that they don't have mm. the sleep pressure to have a good solid night's sleep either. Um, so definitely with tired signs, you can ignore them sometimes, you know. If everything's going really well and you think, gosh, she seems tired but isn't going to sleep, um, don't worry about it. Yeah, it's okay to ignore those tired signs mm-hmm. and go, well, I might be seeing some tired signs, but this actually doesn't mean that she's ready for sleep yet. Um, and I think it just mm. takes a bit of bravery as a parent to go, it's okay to keep them up. It's This crying's okay. Um, they're all right. Yeah, um, Particularly so at this age, Fallon, just mm. when they're very small um, and their circadian rhythm system's immature in those first three months, it's much more of an issue to see those tired signs and get them swaddled mm. and into the cot or bassinet but monica's baby's five months old now um yeah. and um yeah absolutely um those tired signs can be ignored because often they are very closely um uh linked to ti- uh, to board signs and needing yeah. distraction signs and um just um yeah just end of the day crankiness uh, yeah, and gosh, my baby's got a limited repertoire. <laughs> <laughs> and I know even with my much older children, they're still pretty cranky before bedtime a lot of the time. <laughs> I mean, I think even adults are a bit too, aren't we? And I think yeah. certainly, you know, going back to the tired signs thing with toddlers, that's a really big one. I did a post on social media, media a few days ago um, sort of talking about how if you know, your toddler's nights are really challenging and they're getting close to three years of age and they've still got a day nap, it's got to go. And I know that you're seeing tired signs, which is making you think, oh, my toddler needs that day nap. But actually they're showing those tired signs because their nights are terrible because they're having the day nap. So it's like this yes. this cycle that perpetuates. They have the day nap, the sleep pressure's too low at night, they have a terrible night, in which case they're tired and they want a day nap and it kind of just <laughs> yeah. keeps going. Um, so it is okay, especially, you know, at that point where your toddler's nearing three and they really just probably don't need a day nap at all anymore. It's okay to ignore those tired signs, distract them lots, you'll have a tricky week. But then once it clicks and the circadian rhythm knows, okay, I've got to get all of my I sleep overnight they start to have better nights and then they wake up more mm. refreshed and they can get through the day without that nap and suddenly sleep solved nights are wonderful um yeah so yeah it's it's tough we're all like watch for the tired signs when they're really little and you know under 12 weeks of age definitely do that but after 12 weeks of age and as they get older um yeah they can sometimes be ignored Mm. I think this has been such a great discussion this week, Laura, and I hope that the parents listening in um, and other caregivers have found it really, really helpful. Thank you so much to the parents who sent in questions this week um, and a huge welcome um, and hello to all of the new Sombal members. Um, Coming up this week, we have – actually, I'm doing a um, free – um, Instagram live through the parents you've got this platform. So um, follow us on social media and then go follow parents you've got this and you'll be able to find out about these free Instagram lives where we talk about baby sleep. Um, this one's about baby sleep and there's also a dietitian, I believe, who's going to talk about how to introduce solid foods to babies. Um, so yeah, it's entirely mm. free. You can ask questions. Um, it's going to be really, really fun and that's coming up, I think it's this Thursday lunchtime. So yeah. Um, go and check that one out. 
Um, and I think what other news do we have, Laura? The summer sale um, has to come to an oh, end yes. because summer's coming to an end very quickly. Yes. Uh, very We've soon. We've got another 10 days, I think, of the summer. Yeah, and then we're yeah. heading into autumn. So I think that means we've got about 10 days left of the sale. So Yeah, absolutely. You, so um, yeah, mm. currently 30% off any of the Sombal programs. So if you've been listening in and you think, gosh, do I, don't I, um, it's a pretty good time to buy it because you do get it at a heavily discounted rate. Um, and membership is for 12 months. Um, I think we're, we're probably going to keep it at 12 months. It could change at some point. Um, but for now, it's 12 months. So if you think, ah, oh, it'd be sort of handy to have this up my sleeve if we hit sleep hurdles in future, um, yeah, mm. you know, you, you're going to have that access for a full year. Um, excellent. Yeah. So thank you everyone for listening in and we would love to have some reviews. If you can give us a five-star rating, click the subscribe button um, or type out a little review. It helps us so much. And we also just love it. It gives us the warm fuzzies. <laughs> so do it and you'll make our day. <laughs> yeah. Um, and thank you Thanks to those everyone. who have left lovely reviews. We really appreciate it. Yeah, All absolutely. Right. Yeah, Thanks we'll everyone. We'll see everybody next week. Bye. Bye-bye. If you need help with your baby or toddler's sleep or settling, you need Sombell. Sombell is Australia's first online paediatric sleep clinic program for babies and toddlers aged 0 to 3 years. It contains all the best resources from the sleep clinics at Infant Sleep Australia, so you can rest easy and soak in your child. To find out more, click the link in the show notes or visit sombell.infantsleep.com.au.